the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Information about this new film, you'll find it online at GodTheFatherMovie.com. That is GodTheFatherMovie.com. This new film depicts the life of Michael Francesi, our guest today, who went from being involved in the Colombo crime family in the 1980s and 90s, essentially having been brought into that lifestyle through a blood covenant, and then, most ironically, following, Michael, your prison time, the diligence that you engaged in in seeking out the claims of Christ. Um, you mentioned before the break how that you studied a number of other world religions because this was a decision that you really wanted to put your whole confidence in. And, and having finally arisen at the decision that the claims of Christ were in fact real and true and could be real and true for you. Um, irony here that you began your life of crime with the blood covenant and yet it was another type of blood covenant that eventually rescued you from that life? You know, it is ironic, and I, I've learned something now as a Christian, you know, and, and, and hopefully a knowledgeable Christian, at least in, uh, you know, in the way I've, I've approached it, is that, you know, the enemy does exist, and, and I believe that he has two functions on this earth, and one of them is to separate us from God, and he separates us, you know, mentally, emotionally, um, in so many ways. And the other is to mock God. And I, I always say this, that the, the mob life, um, the street life, the gang life, they're evil lives. I'm not calling the guys involved evil because I was one of them, and uh, I just happen to be blessed. But I was in the same category as them. I'm blessed. And maybe if they had the opportunity, uh, they would arrive at the same conclusions that I did. But uh, some of them haven't been led that way. I don't know. I can't speak for them. But the life is evil because I don't know one family of any member of that life that hasn't been totally devastated. And I mean devastated. I don't mean hurt. You know, my own family, not my wife and kids, praise God, but my mother, 33 years without a husband because my dad did all that jail time. Uh, she died, you know, two years ago of cancer. Uh, my sister died of an overdose of drugs uh, at the age of 27. My brother, a drug addict for 25 years, is now in the witness protection program. My younger sister died yet very young of cancer. It goes on and on and on in every family of everybody I know that was involved in that life is suffering similar consequences, different circumstances, similar consequences. And when the enemy uses, you know, a blood oath, I mean, I took a blood oath, okay? And when I was brought into the life, you know, the boss of my family said, tonight, Michael Francis, you are born again into a new life, into La Cosa Nostra, this thing of ours. 
You know, that's the word he used. That's the terminology he used. That's the first time I ever heard that, when I was born again into a, an evil criminal lifestyle. And, you know, and, and, and the enemy used that, I believe, to mock our God. And, you know, I've seen that clearly. And I'm not just fantasizing or making this up. I mean, I'm, look, I'm a very practical guy. You know, Craig, I say this all the time. I grew up on the street. You're not selling me the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, when you got to prove things to me. Evidence has been a major part of my life. When I say things, it's, it's built on research and reason and I hope what's you know common sense I have and I believe this I, I believe it with all my heart and you know when I'm out there talking about God, I want to make this clear too you know I don't believe it's my job to convert anybody I can't convert anybody that's the Holy Spirit's job but we were given a command and that command was to go and preach the good word to all of creation and what I do I just tell my story I tell people, I'm not trying to impose my faith on you, and I'm tr not trying to turn you into a Christian. I'm telling you what happened to me. And 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 my life, you can look at it. It's an open book. I mean, I'm all, I'm all over the place. The fact that I'm here, you may want to give you know serious thought as to why I'm here and listen to the story. And then it's up to you to make decisions. But, you know, I believe it with all my heart. And, and I want to say this because I think it's important. You know, what attracted me to Christianity initially was the manhood and the character of Jesus. When I came to him, you know, before I would believe in him, knowing that he was a man, I wanted to see what kind of man he was because, you know, being a man's man meant everything to me. That's all I heard from the time I was five years old and throughout my, my experience in that life. So knowing that Jesus was a man, I, I wanted to separate his manhood from his deity and just really look at his character as a man. And I'll say this, you know, and I'll shout it from the rooftops. There was no greater man that ever walked the face of the earth in every category of his character. I mean, he was the perfect man. And that's irrefutable. As it's recorded in the Bible, you can't refute the fact that he was perfect in every way. And and that's a high standard. I mean, that's a standard that anybody should want to emulate. I don't care what faith you are. You know, you want to be the perfect man, you emulate Jesus. The Jesus of Nazareth. That's it. So, I mean, there was a lot of things that led me, you know, to be attracted to, to Jesus. And, and that's what I talk about. And that's what I want people to know. And then it's up to them to make decisions, uh, you know, with their own life and where they're going and so on and so forth. You have shared your story, Michael, in your autobiography, Blood Covenant. Uh, you've also have another book out recently. I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let's talk about the decision to take your story to the big screen. How hard of a decision was this to now go from having written your story down to now seeing it depicted on the big screen? Well, it, it was tough because I had refused to do, uh, you know, I've always had people come to me, want to make a movie on your life. You know, Hollywood is a funny place, uh, Craig. You know, one day uh, you got 20 producers calling you and all the media and they want to do something about you. The next day, nobody knows you. And that's just the way it goes. They go on to the next thing. So I've had those episodes throughout my life where all of a sudden everybody wants to do a movie and, you know, they want to make uh, another Donnie Brasco, another Goodfellas. And I, I wasn't into that. I just didn't want to do that. They don't really want to talk about about my faith and I said look if you're going to tell a story you tell the whole story and we're not telling if you want to make a mob movie there's a lot of other characters out there that you know are as interesting or more interesting than me 
but uh, so we, we we let it go. But this opportunity came up um, because um, it, well, I don't want to go through all the backstop because it's 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 a lot involved in it. But I had really the opportunity to tell my story in a very unique way, and this is a combination uh, documentary feature film, and that it is true to life. It's uh, everything in there is irrefutable. It, it all happened. We we do this combining you know five different elements in this film to tell a story in a very unique way and uh, you know we had a chance uh, to very dramatically let people see where God has brought me in in, in my life and uh, the impact and the influence that he's had on me and um, and I'm very very happy about it people are really being powerfully moved by the movie and uh, that's the reason why I did it I look at it as an extension of this ministry that God blessed me with you know, I'll tell you a quick thing, Craig. Many, many years ago, uh, my mother-in-law, God rest her soul, she passed away, but very strong woman of God, had a very powerful influence on me. I was sitting at a table with her and Cammie. Uh, I had not been a Christian at that point. We only knew each other a few months. And she looked at me and she said, you know, one day I believe you're going to be, uh, you know, talking about God uh, to thousands, maybe millions of people, Michael. <laughs> and I looked at her like, you know, she's crazy. Yeah, she's, she's nuts. And my wife at that time, she wasn't my wife yet, but she looked at her mother, Cammie, and said, you know, please don't scare him away. I'm hoping he get him to church on Sunday, you know, one, one time. So it was funny. But, you know, uh, this woman's prophecy, uh, you know, I, I've spoken to God knows how many people all over this country. And now I've been called to uh, Singapore and Malaysia and, and, and outside of our borders. And this film, I think, is a fulfillment of a prophecy because obviously I can't be everywhere that a movie can be. And, uh, you know, it, it struck me uh, when we started to, to get into this. I said, wow, this could be a fulfillment of, of the strongest woman of God that I've ever met in my life. And, and such irony so, in the way uh, God works in his economy, that you have gone from being uh, such an integral part of the underworld for a significant portion of your uh, your youth, um, uh, kind of hidden in the shadows, so to speak, to now being very out in a very public and open way in sharing your story and the manner in which God can use this amazing story to impact lives. And of course, that impact continues now with this new feature film called God the Father. You'll find it on the web at GodTheFatherMovie.com That's GodTheFatherMovie.com If you've just joined us on this special edition of Lifeline, we're talking with former mob member Michael Francesi. We'll take a brief time out Come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
Welcome back to Lifeline. If you've tuned in a bit late, boy, you've uh, missed quite the treat as we are visiting today with Michael Francesi. Michael was a mob member for many, many years, part of the Colombo crime family in New York City. And he um, miraculously stepped away from that life following a 10-year in jail. He had an experience, an encounter with Jesus Christ that has radically changed his life. His story is featured in the autobiography Blood Covenant and now in a new film called God the Father. This movie, by the way, opening at theaters across the country, including here in the Bay Area at Grand Lake Theater in Oakland. And you can get more details on the web at GodTheFatherMovie.com. Michael, let's talk a bit about the influence that your story has had across the nation. Um, you mentioned earlier certainly capturing the attention of um, junior mobsters. These are these are kids that are maybe involved with a street gang, and they uh, find uh, the lifestyle to be very attractive and uh, the desire to not only have the power, the money, the control, and all of that. And, of course, the amazing way in which you've influenced the lives of so many of these young kids. But I'm, I'm curious. Uh, there's another question in terms of the influence of your story. Have you ever heard from any of the old crew? Has there ever been any feedback about uh, your story, the books, the traveling, the speaking, and, and now the movie? You know, I have, Craig, and yeah, yeah, I'm transparent in that regard. There's, there's no problem. You know, I, you know, people have asked me. Have you ever? I've got asked this last night. We had a, a huge Q and A after one of the showings, and they, uh, you know, have you ever had the opportunity to minister to any of your old associates? And I said, listen, you know, it wouldn't be wise for me to to have a Bible under my arm and go into a social club in Brooklyn and say, hey, guys, I want to read the Word. I mean, I probably wouldn't get out of there. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I always tell you though, God, that God doesn't tell you to be stupid. You know. You you got to use your head in these things. But um, I, I did have an opportunity. I was speaking at a church in New Jersey, and I had refused to go to New York for about 10 years because it just wasn't good. But God put it in my heart to go to this church. And uh, just prior to the service, I was, um, I was over by the book table speaking with somebody, and I saw three guys walk in from my former life. Mm. And, Craig, I tell you, it was like, you know, it was like I slipped right back into my past because I saw them, and it's amazing how this can happen. I saw them, and my immediate reaction was I walked right up to them. And I said, hey, guys, and we shook hands. I said, what are you guys doing here? And they said, well, we're here to see you. And I said, well, what do you want to see me about? I mean, that whole attitude just changed in me. I didn't even realize it. And I was like back to where I was 20 years ago. And they said, no, we came to see you here at church. And then, you know, a minute after that, their wives walked in. So now I knew maybe there was maybe they did come here for that reason. And uh, I went up on the stage. I, I did my thing, shared my faith. And I don't always give an altar call. But for some reason, I was moved to do it that day. And they were sitting right to my left in the second row, three guys and their wives. And uh, they answered the altar call. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it was amazing because they had their heads down. They couldn't look up. Uh, one of their wives, or two of them, I forget, were crying. They had tears in their eyes. And when I was finished, I came down, and I went to shake their hands. And they shook their hands, but they never were able to look me in the eye. And, I, you know, I don't know what happened. I mean, I've never seen them again after that. Um, but I think the Holy Spirit moved in them that day. I really do. And uh, that's the only encounter that I've ever had, you know, on a positive note. I mean, I've had word back that, you know, people are very unhappy with what I did. And I'm sure that I'm going to get some controversy, uh, you know, and some words back after this movie comes out. But, 
And my thing was never to put anybody in trouble, and the movie doesn't do that, and, but it does expose the light for what it is, and people should know that. The new film, God the Father, details on the web at GodTheFatherMovie.com. That's GodTheFatherMovie.com. Final word about your latest book, Michael. I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Now, that, that sounds like typical mob <laughs> parlance, but what's this book about? Yeah, you know, I, I never uh, I never choose the titles. It's always uh, the publisher or someone else, but uh, I guess it works in this regard. You know, they asked me to write a business book, and, um, you know, because I asked all the time, you know, is you know, where did you get your business acumen from? It's the same doing business legally as it is illegally. And I said, you know, I learned a lot on the street, and, yeah, it, it helped me a lot in business, um, you know, in a legitimate way. And so they asked me to write a book about it, you know, and the book is really a contrast with two ways of doing business on the street you know when you're you're a member of that life your patron saint so to speak is machiavelli i mean he wrote a book called the prince he was an italian statesman in the 1600s and a, you know a philosopher and it's almost required reading when you go to prison to read machiavelli and you, you know we adopted many of his principles and um you know one of the principles of machiavelli that i never forgot is this in advising a prince how to maintain control of his kingdom he said this is what you need to do you can lie you can steal you can cheat you can do whatever it takes to maintain control of your kingdom however to the outside world you must always uh, you know maintain an aura of dignity you must always appear upright and you must always appear honest and that's kind of the way the end justifies the means on the street you can do anything you need to do to maintain control and to do business you know when I started to look at uh, read Proverbs and Solomon I was blown away by the wisdom of Solomon and so basically the book is a contrast in doing business at the street way the Machiavellian way and the way that Solomon would advise us to be in our business life and it's uh, you know it's, it's been very insightful I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people in business and it you know it talks about ethics and so on and so forth and I think uh, you know the art of negotiation that I learned on the street let me tell you you're sitting down and negotiating with you know John Gotti or guys like that you better be on top of your game because the consequences are serious if you lose yeah yeah so, certainly gives whole new uh, meaning to the phrase he who blinks first loses exactly <laughs> exactly so you know you learn a lot that way and you bring it into the, the real world I should say the world of business and it's it's been very helpful to me so that book by the way available through uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers and you can get it online as as well as through Amazon.com. The film God the Father details on the web at GodTheFatherMovie.com. That's GodTheFatherMovie.com. Michael Frances, thanks so much for the time. It's great to visit with you again, and uh, hope you see you here back in the Bay Area real soon. Now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Clearly, events in the world demonstrate that evil exists in the world, but some are questioning now. Well, if this be the case, then it clearly must be evidence that if God was so loving, he would not permit people to suffer evil of that sort. I mean, how can God allow this to happen to people that he claims to love? 
We'll talk tonight about some of the big myths concerning Christianity as we're joined by best-selling author Dr. Alex McFarland. He is a religion and culture expert, and uh, his new book is called The God You Thought You Knew, Exposing the Ten Biggest Myths About Christianity. And Dr. McFarland, always a delight and an education to have you join us. Well, thank you so much. You're very gracious. It's an honor to be on. And uh, no doubt you're hearing much as what we're hearing from a lot of people around the country that are trying to struggle, they're trying to make sense of what we saw in these heinous attacks in Paris last week. 129 lives claimed. And some would simply look at this and say, well, look, um, this shows that evil not only exists in the world, but raises a big question. If God is so loving, as so many Christians try to claim that he is, uh, then he wouldn't allow this kind of evil to happen. He wouldn't allow this kind of a thing to befall people that he claims to love. Yeah, you know, C.S. Lewis dealt with this more than 50 years ago in his uh, very famous book, The Problem of Pain. Lewis said, you know, what if God made the world such that if an assassin fired a gun at a person, God made the physics uh, such that the bullet would turn to rubber and just bounce off. Um, and so people might try to perpetrate evil, but it would never be possible to happen. Uh, Lewis said, and I agree, you know, that's just not not how things are. We, we have a free will and we're moral agents. And the, the mere fact that God holds us accountable for what we do is proof that, you know, we we uh, make moral choices, and we're, we're in a world of sin. It's a fallen world. Now, the solution to that problem is Jesus Christ, and that our sins can be forgiven through Christ, what he did on the cross, our lives, and our, even our desires can be changed by God's work in, our, in, in us, but um, the Paris attacks sad as they are, are another reminder that there there is moral evil in this world. You know, Craig, what, what makes it interesting is uh, really for 40 years since the sexual revolution of the 1970s and the skyrocket, skyrocketing divorce rate and uh, free sex, premarital sex, now the redefinition of marriage, basically the the hedonistic track we've been on for 40 years has been sold to the culture based on the idea that there are no moral boundaries i mean there there's no sin there's nothing we're doing wrong because there there's no universal moral code and yet when something like this happens that clearly is evil and we know it is people cry uh, this is immoral. Uh, and so our culture, you know, we can't have it both ways. Either there is a God that we answer to, and therefore we should live morally, or there's not a God that we answer to, and we, we are headed for anarchy. Um, clearly, we Christians, we know there is a God, and we want the whole world to know him. What about the argument, though, Dr. McFarland, that um, religion, and certainly I think demonstrably so in this case, religion is a major source of wars in the world, of evil in the world, and therefore people will be inclined to say this, therefore, is evidence to be sure that religion is evil. And, of course, they, they paint this with a very broad brushstroke. Uh, they do. They do. In fact, even last night, I'm on the road traveling, and I stopped to get, um, you know, put fuel in a rental car, and I was talking to the guy at the gas station, and 
he was saying, you know, we need to be rid of all religion because this is proof that religion is evil. Um, you, you know, Christianity clearly is different than, than the world's religions. Religion is based on man trying to work his way to God. Christianity, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, is the story of God coming from heaven to earth uh, to pay for our sins on the cross. Christianity um, says, love your neighbor. Christianity says that we are to forgive our enemies. Um, Islam, on the other hand, that that really since its uh, birthing in the 600s, has been a, a violent religion. Uh, and there have been other totalitarian regimes and uh, all manner. It's almost like an endless list of the crazy ideologies that have driven people to do pathological things. Um, we, we've got to not only in our words show that Christianity is different, but in our lives. And, and, I, and I will say this, and I've, it's been my privilege to write on this extensively um, for the last 2,000 years. Show me where uh, hospitals are built. Show me where wells are dug to provide water. Show me where uh, orphans are cared for and the elderly and the infirm, where life is defended and the human condition improved. And I'll show you where Christianity is. Uh, look, look at America right now, the, the Syrian refugee issue, with um, something like 11 million uh, victims of the Syrian civil war over the last four years, and now 10,000 that uh, we're trying to figure out what to do with. And we can talk about the Syrian civil war if you want to, but here's the thing. Why is it that East is trying to come West? West is not trying to go East. It's because the West is built on a Judeo-Christian moral code. Um, in the West, we have cared for people uh, in times of crisis. In the West, we have... Uh, uh, welcomed the huddled masses with food, clothing, and shelter because the West was built on a Christian worldview that said man is made in God's image, and when I'm honoring you, I'm honoring the one whose image you bear. Look, look, look at the, the Islamic world where life is cheap and one is rewarded uh, for bloodshed. That, that's not what the West, and certainly not what America was built on, and we must, to a new generation, remind people that uh, religion has spilled much blood, but the world is better for the Christian worldview that has said, love your neighbor and feed the hungry and forgive the oppressor. And so uh, all of this that we're seeing today, the world has become a powder keg. That's not proof that there is no God. It's proof that we need to return to the God we've abandoned. And certainly, I think, quite telling, as you point out, Dr. McFarland, that as we've seen this exodus uh, from uh, Syria in the wake of this civil war there, that overwhelmingly the largest number of refugees have all sought refuge in the Christian West, either in Western Europe or here in the United States. And isn't it ironic that if you take countries like Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, which are per capita significantly wealthier than even a country like the United States, that all of those very oil-rich, wealthy nations combined have welcomed 
less than half of the number of refugees that the United States alone has accepted. I think that's telling. We're going to take a time out. We're visiting today with Dr. Alex McFarland, exposing the 10 biggest myths about Christianity. We'll get back to some more examples as our conversation continues right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Dr. Alex McFarland, our guest tonight. He is a religion and culture expert, author of a new book called Exposing the Ten Biggest Myths About Christianity, The God You Thought You Knew. That's the title of the book, by the way, the book newly published by Bethany House. You'll find it online at alexmcfarland.com or through the usual suspects, including Amazon. Let's talk about another big one. We often get this argument and Richard Dawkins, I mean, at all, seem to hammer away the hardest at this, that Christianity and modern science today are completely incompatible, particularly when you look at this from the viewpoint of the origins of man. Mm-hmm. Yes, we get that a lot. Uh, but really, uh, what I always ask when I, whenever I hear that is if somehow science has disproven God, I, I say, well, you know, which branch of the sciences are you speaking of, and uh, which scientific discovery? Because, you know, every branch of the sciences, you know, whether you're talking about one of the uh, branches of biology or chemistry or physics or forensic pathology, I mean, there are these sciences, and every every uh, department of the, the sciences has its own, you know, playbook and methodologies. Um, which scientific discovery do you presume has, quote, disproven God? Um, and, do you know, in fact, the, the four basic forces of physics, um, you know, gravity and electromagnetism and the strong and weak nuclear forces. Uh, I was at a luncheon Saturday with a, a couple of very um, esteemed scientists who said, you know, we still really don't know why these things are as they are. Uh, why is the universe uh, structured to sustain life? And they call it the anthropic principle, why uh, the planet Earth seems uniquely fine-tuned for human life. Uh, If anything, the discoveries of science point to the fact that there had to be an intelligent creator to not only uh, cause uh, the origin of matter, and the creation of the universe, the beginning of the universe, but to fine-tune, to orchestrate the conditions such that life is possible. So uh, in no way has science disproven God. Uh, in fact, Craig, let me give you, let me give you an example. Um, for instance, uh, evolution. And most, most science departments in American universities and many schools are operated from a com- completely naturalistic uh, presupposition that only the physical empirical world is, is is all there is, but evolution, for instance, which supposedly uh, you know depends on gene mutations uh, to give all the varieties of life that we see. Uh, well, gene mutations can uh, you know rearrange the existing genetic material or cause loss of information, but a mutation doesn't add any new information to the genome. And if you want fins to become feathers and feathers to become fingers, you have to introduce new information to the genome, which we've never observed mutations doing. So uh, 
naturalism and specifically uh, Darwinian evolution is, is really a fake position because it's not observable. It never has been. Well, this, in fact, of course, is one of the significant scientific shortcomings of all of this, that oftentimes we've heard uh, these glowing reports of the evidence they find of the uh, the evolutionary chain down through the centuries or millennia, and then we come to more recent recorded time where we have not only a very accurate fossil record, um, we have other records up to including photographic evidence going back over the course of 100, 150 years, and yet there's, there's no demonstrative uh, continued evidence for this evolutionary process, which makes you wonder is if all the evolution took place at the front end and on the backside here, there's nothing that doesn't make sense. It, it, it's not logical from the standpoint of it seems as if then this this uh, this ability of, of, of the world of creation, or the wrong term, I guess, for the evolutionists, uh, of the Big Bang to continue to evolve itself seems somehow gotten stuck. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, we learn about the Cambrian explosion, that life appears in the fossil record fully formed. It was my privilege a year ago to spend 11 days in the Grand Canyon, and we saw many, many fossils, uh, including a fossilized um, log, uh, the, the main structure of a tree that was probably 25, 30 feet long, fossilized through quote, millions of years of strata that, uh, and by the way, I believe the fossil record is the result of the flood. L- let me just say this. I I definitely do believe in a global flood. I think the topography of the land and the, the Earth's geologic um, structure and makeup um, looks like uh, a worldwide flood and the fossils were created through uh, rapid burial in the mud, the water, the silt, and intense pressure. But all of the fossils are always complete, fully formed uh, organisms. Uh, the Cambrian explosion, life appears fully formed. Uh, and any of the so-called transitional forms that ostensibly were one species morphing into another, uh, Fragments of teeth, fragments of bone, this huge inference that, that I believe is imposed over um, uh, fragments that have been found. And, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, entire creatures and villages have been constructed out of just some little fragments here and there. And there, there's wild disagreement uh, and just much speculation about what this or that thing might have been. So the question is, has there ever been uh, empirical, verified proof of evolution? And the answer is no. What's interesting is 156 years into Darwinism now, you know, because, uh, uh, and by the way, I've got got Origin of the Species and Descent of Man. I've got a second edition, Descent of Man, and I've got a, a sixth edition of Origin of the Species, that in, in only 20 years after its first publication, it had been through six or seven printings. Very influential. And basically what we've had for a century and a half uh, have been voices like Richard Dawkins that just insist Darwinism is a fact. Uh, to dare question it is, is ignorance or arrogance. Uh, but the evidence is not there. It's like Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Well, show me the evidence. And the evidence is, is just not there. 
Well, moreover, I mean, not only do we find this this what appears to be as you're suggesting this 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 jump in the fossil record that probably requires a greater degree of faith to accept all of that than it does to simply look at uh, the biblical Genesis account of the origins of man. Uh, then too, I've always found it quite curious, and I have yet to have a humanist scientist be able to give me a solid answer for this, other short of than just a lot of gobbledygook when I pose the question. So if we want to prescribe to the Big Bang Theory that suggests that at one point uh, this big explosion took place that created all matter, and you're telling me that out of this then, out of chaos came organization. Why is it there's only one record, according to what you're telling me, of that ever happening? When is the last time you read a story where somebody blew something up and out of it came a building or a bridge? Uh, or a road was suddenly constructed once they've dynamited some rocks with a with TNT. The fact of the matter is there's 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 no account everywhere anywhere of destruction of chaos creating organization. Uh, that's a great point, Craig. I mean, we have never seen chaos be the mother of order. Something else that is, I mean, I know this is getting rather philosophical and. Frankly, I appreciate the chance to talk this way, but uh, we've never observed uh, inanimate matter developing consciousness. Let's just say somehow there was a primordial soup, and we don't know where it came from or how it got there. And let's let's just say somehow some uh, proteins and amino acids uh, evolved and life somehow began. How did consciousness develop? Because, you know, right now if I say 2 plus 2, and everybody thinks, okay, four. All right, your your brain, with all of the neurons and synapses, there's the physical tissue that is your brain, but the thoughts that you're thinking and the reasoning, uh, that's not the same as the tissue. So there's it's what um, scholars call the mind-body problem. We have a body, and even if by some you know, happenstance that evolved, what is the origin of consciousness? A Richard Dawkins, a materialist, has no answer for the origin of consciousness. And then how did um, what we call individuation, how did multiple centers of consciousness develop? Because, you know, you're Craig Roberts, you're thinking your thoughts, I'm Alex McFarlane, I'm somebody different. Uh, there's no, there's no, from an evolutionary standpoint, there's no accounting for uh, consciousness, mind, uh, intelligence, personality. Um, it, it's been said that man is a soulish creature. We're, we're, we're in an evolutionary mindset, just a, a, a moist robot. But we're, but we're not that. There is, there's something that is the real us beyond just the physical tissue. Sure, not only in terms of personality, but things like you're suggesting, like individual choice. I mean, uh, is it conceivable for the bacterium flagellum just to one day wake up and say, you know what, we're not going to do this anymore. I think I'm going to go do something differently. Well, it just <laughs> the reality is there's never any evidence anywhere for that ever happening. And you're right, it, 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 for, for Stephen Hawkins um, uh, or Richard Dawkins, it provides a, a tremendous quandary, doesn't it? Well, it really does, and I'm glad you bring up the bacterial flagellum because uh, uh, there's what um, what Michael Behe uh, calls irreducible complexity, that you've got 
um, a, a motor, a shaft, a propeller, uh, basically bushings, and, and all of these things at an infinitesimally small level in, in the cell, uh, the bacteria has a, a propeller-like tail that can spin at 100,000 rotations per minute and then reverse direction in, in a fraction of a second. And if even one of the parts were not there, uh, it, it would not be functional. So how did uh, this irreducibly complex, it's like a mousetrap, seven parts in a mousetrap. If you have even one of the parts missing, it's inoperable. So how did these parts evolve in the absence of the other? Because, see, all of the parts are interdependent. How did they evolve in the absence of the other? Listen, I've had debates and dialogues, and, and some of the hardcore evolutionists will say, well, it's an enigma. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Then you are a person of faith. Um, if, if you're willing, all of the things that, you know, when, when your naturalistic worldview hits a wall and can go no farther, they'll say, well, it's an enigma. Okay, well, good for you. Uh, you certainly do have a lot of faith because we've never, we've never seen something come from nothing. We've never observed uh, chaos bring order. Uh, we've never observed inanimate matter develop consciousness. We've never observed information come from uh, a non-intelligent source, and the DNA is information. So my, my point in this is it's much more plausible uh, when we look at something like the Big Bang. And scholars wonder what was before the, the Big Bang. You know, there was an infinitely dense bit of matter and energy, and it exploded outward in all directions. Uh, well, what, whatever was before the Big Bang that caused the universe, it had to be beyond time, it had to be immaterial, it had to be all-powerful, it had to have uh, in, at least intelligence, because there's so much order and structure in the universe. Um, many have said it, it has to be something uh, analogous to a super intelligence. Well, when they talk about what was before the universe that was the cause of this great big effect, they're giving the attributes of God. And we say, okay, Big Bang, great. We know who the banger was. Yeah, I at uh, one time listened to one of these debates amongst a couple of these uh, scientists going on and on. And uh, after a while, having headed down that very same road, I thought to myself, if this man would just take a moment and take two steps backwards, he'd realize that his attempt to try and explain away how man came to be is actually providing further evidence for the existence of what he calls, uh, you know, something that's the enigma and we would put we would assign to that the definition as uh, what we know today as god our thanks to dr alex mcfarland some great insights a wonderful book one that i think you'll certainly uh, learn about uh, learn from and uh, also use it a wonderful tool in sharing your faith with others the god you thought you knew exposing the 10 biggest myths about christianity newly published by bethany house and again you'll get uh, information on the web at alexmcfarland.com or order it online through Amazon.com. 
that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.